Good news, everyone. Billy West is on talk for two. You're one stop for this sort of thing. Coming to you from the greatest city in the world, this is the number one showbiz podcast. It's Talk for Two. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. Thank you, Gary. Hey again, everybody. On this birthday, June 18th for me, I'm so excited, 26 years old. Uh, we're in quarantine, so I can't see anybody and do any kind of gift exchange or party. So I figured instead of getting gifts, because that always makes me feel awkward anyway, I wanted to give one. And this interview was truly a gift. You heard it at the top. Billy West is our guest today. Who's Billy West? Well, he's a lot of people. He's Doug on Nickelodeon's Doug. He's Ren and Stimpy on Ren and Stimpy. He's multiple Looney Tunes characters, but he's probably most well-known for starring as nearly every voice on Futurama. Philip J. Fry, Hubert Farnsworth, Zoidberg, Zap Brannigan. That list just goes on and on. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Now, Billy West offers that voice acting isn't just funny sounds coming from the head. It really is acting, emoting, and living with the characters. This is a sentiment I know is shared by many voice actors. An example you'll hear in the in the episode. When performing Hubert Farnsworth, when performing the hundred and something year old professor, West cannot help but shake like an old man. He also shares with us what he's been up to during the pandemic. Yes, he's working from his home studio. He shares what that's been like. But mostly, this is a look back at a successful career that is far from over. Now, I could say more, but I'd rather let Billy West talk for himself. Or is it himself? Because here now, with a visit from nearly every character he's ever done, our interview with Billy West. Billy West, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, sir? I'm doing all right. How about you? Oh, it is a pleasure to talk to you. You are, you know, I want to start off, I don't want to start off this interview by kissing your butt, but I'm going to say that if there is a Mel Blanc out there, it is you, sir. Oh my gosh, your career is just so, so fascinating to me. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Well, it's it's a pleasure to talk to you. I want to begin at the beginning. I know I've seen some other interviews you've done, and you talk about how your life kind of began when you were a kid. The world was very sonic to you, and that's how you picked up. When did you start picking up voices and realize you could do that? Well, I had a really good ear since, since I was very, very little, and uh, it led me to play music. I played trumpet when I was, like, nine and um and i always could do like those you know cloying annoying witty little voices you know (laughs) from cartoons and stuff Mm -hmm. and uh and i just thought it was fun to do and i also thought anybody could do it if i could do it then anybody could they're just too cool to do it i i had no idea that it was going to become what it became so how did you get your start? How does a person start doing voice acting professionally? Who gave you that first yes for you and said, you have talent? Um, let's see. Um, I'd been recording myself for years. And um, uh, let's see. 
there was this guy I knew that um, was doing some work at uh, the disc jockey's house uh, in Boston on WBCN. And uh, uh, he brought a tape of me <clears throat> to the, uh, the house and the guy listened to it and he wanted to see me. And I started working part time in radio in Boston. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How'd you get connected with Howard Stern? Um, that was just, you know, I kind of admired him from a distance. Um, he was in New York, but that was our sister station where Howard was. So, so I finagled and asked if I could, you know, I wanted to move to New York anyway. So they set me up, aligned me with Howard, you know, they couldn't make him hire me, but you know, just get a load of me and all that stuff. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you know, when you're doing a role, when you're figuring it out, when you're getting cast, what do you look for? How do you know it's a role that, that you can do, that you can add heart to? What do you look for in, in the roles that you do? Um, I guess if I see a character and uh, say there's a drawing and they give you a few ideas about what the guy is like, you know, according to the, the writers, mm -hmm. uh, what they would like to see in a character and they give you you know, that much. And then you size up everything. And, and I was always very instinctual. And sometimes the first thing that popped into my head would be the right sound and voice for a character. I was just really lucky, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's just that um, you never know. I mean, you go on so many auditions and if I don't hear anything, I don't, you know, cry all over the place. I mean, <laughs> I would just move on and, you know, I wouldn't wait for phone calls like, you got it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, i got to ask now, there's a lot in the news, especially this week, that during this pandemic, animation is kind of what's thriving because everybody can do it from their closets. You know, they can they can do mm -hmm. their voices. Have you been working in, in this pandemic? Have you been working on projects? Yes, I've been doing um, Matt Groening's latest show, Disenchantment. Yeah. Is that out of my house and I'm done. I've done commercials out of my house for M&Ms. Oh, wow. Has that been a challenge? I mean, are you used to going into the studio or, or are you pretty much home based now nowadays? I am, but, but having a taste of doing it this way saves me a trip into Los Angeles um, <laughs> every morning, you know, where I had to get up at quarter or four to be at a gig at 9 a.m. So Oh my gosh! How far outside of Los Angeles do you live? It's not very far, but the thing is, is it, it during those damn rush hours? It's like you got to leave super early in the morning if you want to have a chance at beating it. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh yeah, it's murder. Well, you are you play an integral role in the latest uh, latest Hanna Barbera offering Scoob. It starts the Hanna Barbera universe, animated universe. Your Muttley. Had you done? I know you kind of you were shaggy for a while uh, on some other projects has you voiced uh muttley before on any other projects or was this a a new hanna-barbera character for you yeah they they did um a new version of wacky racers yeah and um and i played muttley in that <clears throat> and uh you know we did a whole lot of episodes and there was the crew you know peter perfect and penelope did stop and um Dick Dastardly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's an ongoing thing. And I did it for that. 
and uh, but there's one thing that could it bedeviled me. I mm-hmm. tried and tried and tried so hard over the years to to do that muttly wheezing laugh, and I could approximate it, but I never could just get a hold of it, you know, get my mind around it. And I said, it's somebody imitating pleurisy or something, <laughs> you know, uh, croup. I don't know, but <laughs> but it just sounds like somebody in a, a tuberculosis ward with that wheeze. Oh and uh, and then the other stuff, you know, that was Don Messick and the wheeze, I guess, was him. Yeah. So um, we we had a uh, we met in the middle is mm-hmm. I was doing the Muttley stuff because they wanted me to just express more kind of words, but not words and all that stuff. And, um, you know, and then they used from the archives, they used the wheezing. So um, I'm honored that I got to be part of a thing like that and i also thought that don messick should get credit yeah yeah which they did that's good that's good well i've been beating around the bush because i have to say my favorite i i think your opus you may disagree here but i think your opus you talked about uh matt groaning but i think your opus in your work is of course to me futurama and i am so <laughs> curious how did you come to that? And how did you come to play so many damn characters? That's like I, the Billy West show. Let's be honest. Uh, like it, I know it's, it, it's very strange and it's also surreal to hear yourself coming out of every TV set everywhere and <laughs> radio, you know, I mean, but, but you have to compartmentalize. Otherwise I become too self-conscious, mm-hmm. but um, no, I mean, I went in and I auditioned for um, the professor and Dr. Zoidberg and uh, and Fry. Yeah. And then I got a call back saying they wanted me to do the professor and Zoidberg, uh, but not Fry. They were thinking of somebody else. And um, and then at, at like when they l- looked back, you know, in retrospect, they just said, wait a minute, well, let's listen to more stuff, you know. And so so they arrived on my my demo. Mm-hmm. for fry and uh it was basically my voice when i was 25 yeah because i remember what i sounded like i was all whiny and nasally and complainy you know played in a band oh man i just broke a string now what am i gonna do <laughs> i love it yeah that's you know, I have to say, talking to you here, I hear Fry in you. It's like the is that the character closest to your voice that you've ever done? Yes. Yeah. Well, because I'm imitating myself at 25, I do right. remember what I wanted like. <laughs> of course. Um, Greetings from the year 3000. It still sucks. <laughs> I love it. Oh my, yes, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. <laughs> you know, and I have to say, it's brilliant that they had you. That they, I don't know if this was intentional or not. Eventually, but they, that they had you play Farnsworth and Fry because that that's you know it's a very subtle through line. They're very different voices, but you know knowing that it's you and that it's you for both, there's that familial connection. Was that intentional in you creating the voices? Um, no, it wasn't. It was just what came flying out of me, you know. And I just thought like a collection of doddering wizards and. <laughs> Um, mad professors and mad scientists and, you know, old geezers uh, just rolled into one. <laughs> and, uh, you 
know, it was just so much fun. Um, you know. Yeah. And- I just think that yeah, I try to, you know, I'd be shaking mm-hmm. physically when I would do that voice, you know, because because like he's a hundred and what is he? I don't even know what he is. He was like hundred and yeah. seven years old or something. Yeah. So you would be farting dust by then. So <laughs> he didn't have any muscle mass. So he basically shook when he talked. <laughs> I've invented the thing longer. <laughs> yeah. And you hear that in, in I can hear that now. That's amazing. You say that, you know, I've heard other voice actors say there's really no difference between acting a character and acting with your voice. And it sounds like you physically embody everything that you do. Um, yeah, I've always been that way. I mean, I, I have to keep a, an image in my mind of what this person really is mm-hmm. and what I would expect to hear from them when they open their mouth yeah. and how I would hear it, you know? And so, uh, it was like automatic writing. Once you get into that character, you have to remember the musicality of those characters, you know, like, um, uh, like say you couldn't hear the words Yogi Bear was saying, you could just hear his cadence, mm-hmm. and it was like, <laughs> you know, and you know it right and away. So, and and it falls right into place. It's not like you have to remember the voice so much as the musicality. Um, yeah. you know, um, I'm trying to think. Your music is bad, then you should feel bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Who's Zoidberg based on for you? Who did you base that? Who did you base him on? What inspiration? I cold fused a couple of people out of showbiz periphery. (laughs) Um, You know, super collided them, as it were. But it was a guy from vaudeville before there was television. Mm Mm-hmm. There were movies, and there was also Vaudeville, which was a live stage show, like 12 acts a day, mm-hmm. two times a day at your local theater. And you could just at any time pop into the theater and catch a magician or a, or a high wire act or comedy team or whatever. And uh, it was big business. Yeah. You know, people loved that stuff. And um, one of the Vaudeville hosts, um, he was, um, what was he? He was the, uh, like a master of ceremonies and his name was George Jessel. Mm-hmm. And they had this beautiful marble mouth, <laughs> ladies and germs, you know, for some reason people thought that was funny back then. I don't know why, but, um, you know, you know, the different, you know, the, uh, what was the joke? Uh, you know, the definition of a smart ass? A fellow that can sit in an ice cream cone and tell you what flavor it is. <laughs> it's you know, great. And then I fused him with a character actor named Lou Jacoby. Yeah. Who leaned into Arthur Dudley Moore in the movie mm-hmm. and uh, said, what's it like to have all that money? You know, so I kind of put the two of them together. Yeah. I love that. How do you, you may not, you may not think too much on this, but I do as, as a, as a viewer, the thing about Futurama, the thing about anything you do really is that you bring a heart to it, a heart to the work. Again, not trying to kiss your butt, 
But oh, I, thank you, though. I mean, to watch Fry, to watch that relationship, to just use Futurama as the example. I mean, there were some really emotional moments in that show. How do you? Oh, yeah. How do you convey that in just a voice performance? How do you do? You think about that a lot, really bringing a, a genuine aspect to what you're well, doing. I wanted to, if someone was on the verge of tears. Mm-hmm. Um. I would try to feel as much of the dilemma or the crisis or whatever it is that's causing that person to slowly emotionally break down. Mm-hmm. And, and I could do it. And then I started watching goodbye speeches from sports players. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I've been with this ball club for 40 years, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I try because that's, that is the most superb thing ever is when a regular sports star is resigning and they give that, that trying to hold back the tears, you know, I'm a man, I can't cry. There's microphones all over the place. And, you know, and it's, there's a dynamic and it creates this tension, but what if it's a sweet character and they're breaking down, your heart automatically breaks for them. Yeah. You know, when they when they step in shit, you feel like you stepped in shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I want to turn now, talk about the Looney Tunes. You've been involved with the Looney Tunes aspect of, of uh, voice acting with Warner Brothers for, for many, many years, playing a bunch of different characters. But I know voice actors in the Looney Tunes sphere tend to, uh, tend to share tend to share roles at least from the outside it looks like you know bob bergen will do this you'll do another you know is that Mm -hmm. is are you guys really like a company of players as far as how looney tunes addresses you or is it as competitive for who gets one particular project as it is for anything else i mean not everybody can uh embody or um you know supply the the variety uh, of voices that Mel Blanc did, and and every character that he did had its own set of rules and acting and you name it. I mean, he was an unbelievable actor, mm-hmm. and uh, no one could top him. Not ever. Not now. You know. Uh, I mean, after him, it was just like, okay. I wonder. You know, we were all inspired by him, mm-hmm. but but I didn't want to be him. I mean, yeah, I would do, you know, franchise voices like Bugs Bunny and so on, Elmer Fudd. But I was more interested in creating my own characters, you know, and letting letting what I had inside me mm-hmm. uh, supply the reservoir for a character. And, um, you know, but I did Bugs, but every day I said to myself, I'm a day player. I'm Bugs Bunny for today, as far as I know. Yeah. You know, I couldn't lay claim or an emotional uh, longing for it and a protective feeling about that character because I was doing it. No, I was a hired gun. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't create that character. Yeah. But I got to work with Michael Jordan, Doc. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it. The closest thing to a religious figure that we have. I love that. I loved Space Jam growing up. I got to tell you, it was it was stellar. Was that and hard? I did in that too. It's like you know, yeah. Um, shh, be very very quiet. 
<laughs> I'm hunting wabbits. <laughs> now, when you did that, were you on, were you, I know you probably did stuff in the booth, but like when they did Roger Rabbit, he was always there on set annoying everybody with his voices trying to read the lines were you on set with uh with this and then record it later or, or how did that work for the movie no i was never on set they used a a decoy or or a placeholder yeah you know that was in green screen that was just shouting out the lines as the characters so that the actors could act with somebody yeah you know and he'd move around and uh he was really quite good at what he did, and mm-hmm. um, and that's what they acted. And then they would animate the characters to their their acting that they did with the previous person. Yeah, yeah. No, it it just seems so fascinating. What do you think of the landscape with with cartoons today? Now, with you're doing uh, the show on Netflix, what do you think? What do you think the future of of animation holds as streaming comes into play? for your industry i think eventually everyone in this world is going to be doing cartoons in one way or another either draw on them or um but there was a trend for a while i don't know if it's still going or not but a lot of the the artwork and the character um drawings mm-hmm. and and cycles that they have and everything it was remind it started to remind me of refrigerator art yeah. You know, the little scribbling that a kid is so proud of, you know, and uh, his parents, you know, give him a trophy or whatever they did. And it's like for a while there wasn't much difference from the kid being at home to, to for the kid to be in front of Nickelodeon showing them what he created. <laughs> yeah, um, I I just uh, I like off kilter. Um I like something that's deliberately askewed, mm-hmm. but but I also love uh, really great animation. Yeah, and it's very hard to do, and it takes a lot of time. So people take shortcuts. Yeah, you yeah. know, to have characters really acting. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, I'm a fan of so many of those. You know, I used to love uh, um, John DiMaggio's role. Um, as the dog on uh, what was the name of that show? He he did Jake the dog. Jake the dog. I'll tell you what show in a second. Okay. <laughs> Yay, Google Adventure Time. You're talking Adventure Time. Yes, Adventure Time. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I liked all that stuff, and um, I also um, when I got to watch Rick and Morty, I I enjoyed what I saw of it. You know. Mm-hmm. It was pretty manic. Yeah. Animation allows for a certain kind of creativity, obviously, that you can't have in, in live action. And it's just so neat to see where it's headed. And I think, not to drive too, drive home too fine a point on Futurama, but I, I think Futurama was kind of the start of it. Because The Simpsons, great show, classic, iconic, family sitcom, as an, as an animated show. But Futurama took, took it, I think into a completely different realm of what could be animated. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, when you're in, when you're doing something mm-hmm. like Ren and Stimpy or something, yeah. you have no idea that you may be in the middle of a, a cultural phenomenon storm. You, you have no idea how yeah. people are going to take something while you're doing it. 
You just have no idea. And then one day you start finding out that people are rabid over something that you did. And it's kind of a nice surprise. And it means that I hit the mark, whatever the hell I was going for, whatever the objective or goal was that day. You know, and as a journeyman voice person, I was just, I was an objective fulfillment machine. Mm. That's So I, I always took it seriously, even though I screw around a whole lot, but <laughs> no, I always took it seriously. Yeah. Well, you have to, I think you have to screw around a little bit in, in animation. You have to just have that zany, you have to be in that frame of mind. So I, I think that's a, that's a tool of the trade in my opinion. Yeah. 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 So, well, I, of course, I buried the lead, Ren and Stimpy. That show, I think, is just iconic to people in my generation. And, wow. You know, <laughs> you know it. You see it at conventions all the time. I mean, people... Hey, Ren, will you button me? <laughs> <laughs> Boom! I you! <laughs> oh, my gosh. Was that hard, though? Like, let's let's get serious for a moment. Was that hard to replace John when that happened? I mean, I don't want to get into the politics of it, well, but to take over for a during, creator. During the auditions, um, I auditioned for both characters. Yeah. And they wanted me to do Ren. And I, I got a couple of samples of characters like, uh, oh gosh, Burl Ives and uh, Peter Lorre and, you know, these screaming maniacs and um, and then he was south of the border, you know, so you had to put like Chihuahua in him somewhere. And, uh, you know, I mean, I just did it and I just forgot about it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I guess John wanted to do it anyway. So when, um, he wound up doing the voice, I think he wanted to anyway, originally, but, yeah. you know, and then he gets into these battles with people and, um, it's like you can't fight City Hall. Who the hell are you to walk up to City Hall and tell, tell everybody they don't know what they're doing and get out and I'll do everything myself, you know? Yeah. Own worst yeah. enemy? Um, not while I'm in the room. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, to to fight, to fight like that, kind of like being his own worst enemy. Uh, yeah, that's been said many, many times, but, you know, so what? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it made more fun for you. And, and what does it mean to you? You meet people my age and, and, and older who identify with your characters. What does that mean to you to this day? And to It means the world to me. It means that, that I had achieved what I set out to do because mm -hmm. I wanted the stuff to touch people. I didn't want it to be a cartoon. Um, I wanted it to be like somebody you could know more mm -hmm. than anything. Yeah. Someone that you could know, some person that you would, you know, be glad to see and glad to hear from. And um, whether even if it was a louse, you know, like Zap Brannigan. Yeah. Kids, inform the men. I made it with a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. But there's got to be something about him that, you know, I mean, because I came from radio yeah. and. I, there were still these big dumb disc jockeys around when I started and they loved everything, you know, about their voice and they wouldn't let it go. Uh, you know, yeah. You would pad it, you know, six o'clock and, uh, in a half hour, it'll be, uh, 
half past six o'clock on all time <laughs> radio. Oh, coming up in about 10 minutes. And when we get there, it'll be 10 minutes ago when I'm saying this, you know, yeah. they, they just like jibber jabber and they like the sound of their own voice and they would uh, deliberate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. those guys, they were the dinosaurs, you know, they came from another era. Mm hmm. And little guys like me, I mean, I could fake doing that stuff, but I used to say to myself, who talks like this? <laughs> Nobody. But yeah. you better be able to do it if, if you want to keep your bag of tricks wide open. Yeah. Well, yeah. I cannot wait to see what other uh, tricks you have in your bag as your career continues to just be stellar. I can't wait for the next season of uh, Disenchantment. Oh, that's so much fun. Yeah. Yes. So much fun. It it, it kind of got a lukewarm reception, didn't it? And then it kind of found its it found its audience. What do you make of it? Is it just uh it, it's different, right? It's it's a different format than what people might be used to from uh well, from Matt. You know, people get used to something mm -hmm. and they feel like there's so much a part of it, and then when it ends, it's like going to boot camp, you know, you gotta get into a whole new show and you gotta brace up and accept it for what it is and um i think you know you almost get like a network mentality is we like what you brought us but we want another simpsons you know <laughs> they said that about futurama he said i got you know matt Groening said i got this show futurama and i you know i think you'll really enjoy what i'm talking about here and i'll show you some artwork and blah 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 and they'd be like looking at him like with that there's a smile that Mike Pence has. It's called Indiana <laughs> Nice. <laughs> that's great. Oh my gosh. That's you know, it's hysterical. That, it's called Indiana Nice, <laughs> which means, you know, underneath it is what's going on is that's really great, but we want another Simpsons, you know? Yeah. Well, I can't give you another Simpsons. I can give you Futurama. And if it becomes big, then, you know, we'll all be happy. Yeah. yeah, but we want another Simpsons. You know, it's like it's Simpsons in space. You know, <laughs> oh, no, it God. isn't. It's an entirely different animal, and so is disenchantment. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It's. I think he's a genius. I think he's an absolute oh. genius. You oh, know? I know. Even when he's doing offhand remarks, I, I, I have the joy of being able to sit there and listen to his take on certain things when he's directing us and. You know, this was really a his baby. I mean, he stayed on to direct like mm -hmm. ferociously, but but he was always, you know, you could sort of begin to read him after a while, after the years that I spent with him. I, I knew what he was kind of expecting from you. And, and his bar is so super high that if I could even come near that, I was always like elated. I was happy. Well, you landed it, and uh, you are an absolute hero to many, many people out there. And uh, Billy West, this was a true joy. Don't hang up. We're going to wrap here, but I want to talk to you real quick off record. Okay. And uh, thank you very, very much. This was a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Oh, for me too. Believe me. Man, that interview just brought a joy to my day. It was so fun to do. So fun to listen to those voices. So fun to listen to those stories. Billy, if you're out there listening to this, thank you very much. And thank you for the Farnsworth tease. I asked him to do that on a lark. I said, 
you don't have to do this, but would you mind? And, and he was so gracious to do it. And we talked for about 20 more minutes off mic about some other things that maybe we'll discuss if and when he comes back, because I would absolutely love to talk to him again. That is it for us today. A reminder to check out talkfor2.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at talkfor 2 And, of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Stichter, Spotify. Check us out. Talk for 2 Matt Bailey. Plug it in. You can find it and you can subscribe. Signing off, I'm Matt Bailey, reminding everyone out there to stay safe and keep talking for two. You can hear more show business interviews with the stars at talkfor2.com. <laughs>